You are listening to Zeal Fear House. I am your host, David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. Her focus here is on our relationship with our Heavenly Dad and all aspects of His kingdom, moving in greater intimacy with Him. Additional teachings, books, and articles may be found on my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's dwmurry.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and let's get rolling with this week's broadcast. Well, good evening. Uh, this is Blog Talk Radio. Uh, David Murray, this is the for Your House, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. Dorothy, how are you doing? I am doing very well, David. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm so excited to to uh, get back onto regular um, broadcasting and regular teachings and sharings on Blog Talk Radio. I know I've taken about a month and a half off, uh, squaring away some things, and um, I, I am just so excited to get back into it. So for our brothers and sisters out there that, that are listening, uh, we are looking to commence and hit the, the latter half of the summer straight into the fall full steam. And um, exciting stuff that I really want to share with you that I really believe that that um, that the Lord wants to get across to at least the body of Christ that joins us here, um, you know, on these broadcasts. So I'm excited about that. So I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing great. Life is busy, but not too busy. And I'm just learning in leaps and bounds how to um, how to continue to serve in the body of Christ uh, amidst all the things and the busyness of life. So it's um, it's great. I'm doing well. Uh, we're going to be talking tonight um, on, what did I title tonight? When God touches our lips. <laughs> when the coals of God touches our lips. Um, there are so many different, the premise that I want to discuss tonight is understanding what takes place when the hand of God touches us. What takes place when the kingdom of God interacts with us and touches us. And the basis of our teaching is going to be Isaiah 6, 5 through 10. All scripture, the scriptures say that, that the Bible says that all scripture is, is designed to teach us. It's designed, is given for our example. We'll talk about more of that uh, in a little bit. But guys, the, everything, if you've noticed the theme in what I share with the body of Christ, is um, theology, right, or a set of standards of beliefs and doctrines. That's a loose definition of theology is very limited in its usefulness without application. Theology or set of standards or beliefs without application becomes religion. And religion, uh, a definition of religion, is ritual um, repetitions that are done for tradition. If any area in our walk we hold on to a set of beliefs and that we do not use those beliefs to gain greater intimacy with the Lord, it becomes religion. The scriptures say that faith without a corresponding action is dead to us. So to have a belief without an action that draws us into greater intimacy with the Lord is dead. It's useless to us. So everything that I share with you, my heart's desire is to give you application on how we can use it for our walk with the Lord. Otherwise, what good is it? Uh, I'm, I'm very, very, very careful myself in what I listen to and what I invest time in. 
everything that we invest into yields a harvest. There is nothing that does not yield a harvest. Galatians 6, 8, amongst others, but Galatians 6, 8 is one of my favorite verses that, that prove that out. It says, if you sow, you will reap. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap the eternal life of the spirit. If you sow to the dead man, carnality, to the flesh, to the world, these are all synonyms. Um, we will reap, you know, um, we will reap death in that area. Well, what is death? Death is anything that is not releasing the nature and the life of our Heavenly Father and His kingdom in our lives. If it's not reaping the, the, the kingdom of God in our lives, it out, falls outside of that, which is death. Carnality, it's useless. It have no eternal value. It's going to be burned up. It's useless in our lives. Um, so there needs to be application. There needs to be belief with application. So what we're going to do is take um, the study, the example, uh, and a historical event that took place in the lives of a, in a, the life of a believer in Isaiah, and we're going to look at how does that affect us today. So the intro for this is basically what we're talking about. Okay, when God's coal touches us, when the, when in, what we're going to talk about in Isaiah is when the angel of the Lord touched. Isaiah came in contact with the kingdom of God, and it changed the course of his life. That was Isaiah's commission. There are two types of commission, and really what we could call this subject today is, is when God touches, when the coals of God, the nature and presence of God, literally touches our spirit being, what takes place. What takes place is there's a commission. Uh, we're going to talk about fulfilling our commission from the Lord and what that really means and what most of us think it means, and it doesn't. Okay, there are two types of commission. There is the, the, the commission that's given to every child of God. Every born-again believer has been given the commission by the Lord Jesus Christ to go out and share the good news that we've been reconciled back to the Father. There is a way of reconciliation. There's been given a doorway back to the heart of the Father. That doorway is the cross, that Jesus gave us the doorway to enter into intimacy with the Father. That is the good news. The word gospel means good news. I know you guys know that, but that's what it is. It means good news. The good news that Jesus paid for our sins so that we enter into the nature of God and can commune with our Heavenly Father that was lost at the Garden of Eden. So that's the first commission every single person has given us. The, the second, and, and here's some scripture. I'm not going to go into it because that's not the point of our, our, our study. The point of our study that we're going to talk about um, is individual commission. There's two types of commission. The great commission that's given to every single child of God that was never rescinded. Uh, a lot of us in, are in rebellion. A lot of the church is in rebellion to our commission that was given to us when the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came to do two things. And I won't, I'm going to try not to dogtail, rabbit trail too much. The Holy Spirit came, one, to restore intimacy. We have the ability to commune with the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nonstop, because his spirit is in our spirit, man. We're a spirit being. The second, the first was for fellowship. The second was through intimacy of fellowship, we are empowered to draw upon the very nature of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission and restore those that have not yet made the commitment to Christ that we have made to receive salvation. We one time were enemies to God, the scriptures say. We were lost. We were bound for hell. We received the free gifts because we heard the good news. We heard it one way or another 
through someone fulfilling the commission. We are called to do the same thing. The church, by and large, is ignoring their first commission. Um, but that's not the point of this study. I've talked about that in older blog talks. You can look that up if that, if that pricks upon your spirit. We're going to talk about individual commission. Uh, the Great Commission, for those that are interested, is Matthew 28, 19, Mark 16, 15, Acts 13, 47. This is all, you know, uh, tapes so that you guys can – I'm going to go kind of quickly. You guys can go back and check those out if you want. Um, if we do not have our father's lost children on our heart and mind, we're out of sync with his heart and mind. We're in rebellion to the desire of his heart. Uh, so we need, to, we need to really go back before the Lord and see – what areas of our walk are out of sync with the areas of his heart and his mind and his will? And the first one is, is every child of God has a commission to fulfill the, the, the great commission, the gospel of reconciliation. The second is individual commission. It is the point of this study. And we're going to turn to Isaiah 6-5, and we're going to read it. Guys, here's the reason why um, – our Heavenly Dad laid this upon my heart. There is a great cry going out in this hour within the body of Christ. The cry that I hear going out from the throne of God when I spend time with the Lord and I ask him what's on his heart, and he shares with me what's on, going on in his bride, in his church, in his family, is he's saying there's a cry, David, that's going out that my children are lost. They're asking me, Lord, what am I to do? Father, what is my purpose? What do you have for me? What is my future? That is, by and large, uh, the cry of the heart on many, many, many children of God in this hour, especially in this nation. And this is uh, designed to help equip and point the way back to intimacy with the Father, to greater intimacy than we already have. We're always looking to grow in intimacy and to answer the desires of the heart that are on his children. What am I to do, Lord? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my future? We ask those things before we come to Christ. They're questions that draw us to the cross. After we've accepted the cross, those are, the, those are questions upon our heart that we should have an understanding as we grow in him. And because of the nature that the body of Christ is in today, there's a lot of fracturing and fellowship and sound biblical doctrine in purpose, there's a lot of sharing going on in the body of Christ. There's not a lot of teaching that points to the heart of the Father. There's a lot of talk. A lot of Christians are talking about a lot of things in this hour. There's not a lot of talk about things that are on the Father's heart. And um, so that's why I'm bringing this up. It's out of love, love from the Father, and my love for my brothers and sisters, and my love for the Father that I'm sharing this. So let's go to Isaiah 6, 5. Um, to galvanize, many of us do not know or understand what God's plan for us individually. There is, there is, for many, many people in the body of Christ, he showed me an ocean of Christians that have absolutely no understanding of what God's plan is for them individually. This is to address that question. Isaiah 6.5. This is an encounter with an Isaiah. He is taken in, a, in a, at the very least an open vision. What do I say least? Whether he was translocated to heaven um, or whether it was an open vision. Um, some people disagree with that. What is important is that he's standing in the presence of God. His spirit being is in the presence of God. He's standing before the throne of Jesus Christ. 
And in verse uh, 5, it says, Isaiah cries out, Woe is to me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell the people. And he goes on to explain what Isaiah is called to do and how he is called to minister. And um, sorry to get choked up there. A lot of you guys have been listening to me know I am a big crybaby. So you guys are used to that. Here is um, why that chokes me up. Let's look at this encounter. You have Isaiah who's standing before the holiness of God. He's standing before the manifest presence of perfection and holiness and righteousness and love. And his response is, I'm a dead man. Right? In essence, paraphrasing, I'm a dead man. Woe to me. I'm undone. I'm done. I'm going to be unwrapped. I'm going to be thrown into oblivion completely blasted. I am in the presence of the great creator, the one in, in who is all perfection on every possible way, on every level. And um, an angel flies down from the throne room. Whenever we look, guys, and we see someone moving from the throne room, um, what that is a picture of, what you're seeing in scripture is someone who is coming from God's presence, carrying out the will of the Father. An angel flies from the holiness of God's presence with a coal and touches Isaiah's lips. What symbolically took place there and what literally took place in the spirit there is that there was an action that removed Isaiah's unrighteousness. Remember, from Genesis to Revelation, the just shall live by faith, not by self-righteousness. We can't earn salvation. Isaiah understood his condition, understood that he can't earn salvation, And he trusted his Lord and his Savior to be the forgiveness of sins. That's the mystery that was wrapped up in the prophets that was revealed to us by the Holy Spirit in the end days, the scriptures say. They saw from afar off what took place on the cross. Isaiah was no different than any other man or woman who lived by faith. Whether it's now we look back to what the cross has done and receive it, they looked forward to what the cross was going to do and received it whether it's Adam, Eve, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the people that lived before the Mosaic law that lived under any other covenant and us that have lived after that in the fulfillment under the new covenant, right? His lips are touched. Isaiah's lips are touched. And then a decree goes, a decree goes out, a cry goes out saying that your iniquity and your sin have been removed. And then the Lord speaks and says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah's response is, I'm right here. I'll go. What changed here? The touching of Isaiah's lips from the holiness of the altar cleansed him. The Lord declared him by God's own righteousness, holy and blameless. Declared Isaiah holy. He purged him from iniquity and sin. Not by anything Isaiah did. By Isaiah's recognition that he needed to be forgiven. Same thing that happens to us when we accept Jesus. Now, 
The question I want to ask everybody, did God change in any way? What changed here? What changed in this encounter? Did God change? No. Hebrews 13.8 says God's nature never changes. The dispensations, the times, the covenants change, have changed, and, and, and have changed. Covenants change. The nature of God, who he is, a loving, holy God, never changes. He is love. He is holy. He is good. What changed here were two things. Number one, the condition of Isaiah before the Lord, standing before the Lord, changed. Isaiah went from a man of sin and iniquity to a man who was forgiven and righteous. That's the first thing that changed was Isaiah's spiritual standing before the Lord. He went from having iniquity and sin to being cleansed and forgiven of that sin. The second thing that changed was Isaiah's thinking. This event took place before the cross. It's a type and shadow of what would be accomplished through Jesus. The reason the church, guys, by and large, is not aware of their own place and purpose in the body of Christ or what their own commission is, is because we have rejected the work of the cross. Now, that's a trigger point for many people. If they're going to say, I, don't, I can't reject the work of the cross. You're talking about I've received him as Savior. That's not what I'm talking about. The scriptures say, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. And we move from faith to faith. And James, talking to the church, to born-again believers, says the double-minded man is unstable and should not expect to receive much from God. By and large, the church in the United States has rejected the full work of, that was accomplished on the cross. We haven't rejected salvation. Okay, We haven't rejected that work. We've rejected the full work of what was taking place. See, here's what I mean by that, guys. Let me walk you through this. The work made us righteous. Okay? Righteousness is what gives us salvation. What the church has done and what we have taught, the elders have taught by and large in this generation, is that we have received salvation while rejecting the reality of the work that's made us righteous. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say it slowly. If you get nothing else in this, in this teaching, it's this. We have been made righteous. Jesus gave us the gift of righteousness. It is righteousness that gives us salvation. Salvation, by definition, is to be restored, be saved. Right? We've been saved from sin and iniquity. The cross gave us righteousness salvation is the byproduct or the result of being made righteous what the church has been taught and has done in this generation is we have rejected the work of the cross we have rejected and contended with the reality and the doctrine of righteousness and we've instead side slipped it and only accepted salvation and that grieves the Father's heart. It is not honoring to him. It rejects what Jesus did, which is to provide the doorway to intimacy. It puts veils in front of us, veils that were torn by God himself 
when he removed the old covenant, fulfilled with the Jesus, and gave us the new covenant and the Holy Spirit inside of us. We cannot accept salvation and accept, um, not accept righteousness without being in rebellion to the work of the cross. Because we didn't receive salvation by itself. Salvation is a byproduct of what Jesus did. Jesus took our sin and our iniquity and he put it upon himself. What took place in Isaiah 6, 5 through 10 was a foreshadowing event of what Jesus would accomplish for the entire world on the cross. He left the presence of the throne room. He took our sin and iniquity, cleansed us the moment we received that he was the cleansing, the atonement. That's righteousness. We cannot say we accept salvation and we're accepting what Jesus did on the cross for our sins and reject the reality we've been made righteous. And that's what the church is perpetuating and teaching in this hour. Fear, unholiness, unrighteousness. Now, hear me, guys. To everything, there's a ditch. We can choose to live unrighteous. We can choose to live, you know, uh, sinful lives. And, and everyone says, well, how, long, how far can you sin, David? I'm not interested in how much someone can sin. That's not why Jesus died for me. I, and I honestly, I've never met one believer who sincerely received Jesus into their heart that wants to ask the question, how much can I sin? Unless it's based upon fear of losing your salvation, which means you don't want to lose it, which means you've been taught a doctrine of fear. And so instead of the love of Christ motivating us, which Romans 2 says it's supposed to, fear motivates us. And we're not motivated by fear. The scriptures say perfect love casts out all fear. So what, what Father is challenging the body of Christ to do in this hour is to begin embracing the work of the cross. We've received, embraced that we have salvation. We've rejected what he actually did for us, which is to make us righteous and blameless. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. The context here is, to, is, is what Paul is saying, okay, and this, the context is that we're to learn from the mistakes of those who went on before us. Okay, that's the context. Everything we read, guys, we have to ask ourselves, what's the context of the verse? What's the verse before, the verse after it? What's the context or the purpose of the chapter, the book, how it fits into the new covenant, how that fits into the, the Bible and the image of Jesus Christ, right? Context. So the context here is to learn from mistakes, but there's something of this scripture, a principle of the kingdom that I want to pull out. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Okay, I'll read that again. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Who's us? The church. Those who are living under the new covenant, who have the Holy Spirit inside of them. The Old Testament scriptures were written so that we could learn from them. On whom the culmination of the ages has come. The new covenant is the culmination of every covenant. And we've talked about this. There's seven major covenants. We get hung up on the Mosaic Covenant. There are seven major Old Testament covenants. You can look that up on broadcast. I talked about that. All of them, from Adam until John the Baptist, 
and finally Jesus' resurrection on the cross, they all culminated in what Jesus was going to make us. We are living in the culmination of the ages. Stop going back under other covenants. The Bible is progressive revelation. Okay, the law brings death. We need to turn to Christ and the Holy Spirit and seek the love and goodness of God. And that reality, the awareness of the reality of his goodness and love, the, the reality of the realm of the spirit that we are partakers of, is what transforms us. So, well, I'm just going to sin more if, I don't be, if I'm not afraid of sinning. No, you won't. That is unscriptural teaching. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says we are transformed as we behold his goodness, not as we behold our shortcomings. The answer to every sin and shortcoming and struggle is beholding the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we do that by spending time with him, by meditating on his goodness, by sowing to the spirit, by sowing with our time, with his goodness, with changing our thinking. It all comes back to our belief systems, guys. Everything I'm going to teach one way or another comes back to our belief system. Everything. The belief system that got us in trouble in the garden, it's the belief system that we have to be set free from in Revelation. Culmination of the ages, guys, to the two scriptures is righteousness. The scriptures say, Matthew 18, 16, Deuteronomy 17, 2 Corinthians 13, 1, 2 Timothy, Timothy 1 something, I forget. All say out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Guys, anything that you hear needs to be established in the light of the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, his earth ministry, who demonstrated the perfect nature of the Father, and it has to be supported in the context of the new covenant. Right? So having said that, here's two scriptures, and there's a ton of them. I'll throw them out for you but, but because you can start them on your own. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. The culmination of the ages is righteousness. Second verse I'm going to give you. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scriptures, the purpose, all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Righteousness is the purpose for teaching, rebuking, correcting. It's to trans righteousness. Righteousness is not works, guys. Righteousness is an identity. It is being in the nature of who we were made through the cross. The church needs to stop looking at righteousness in terms of works. And we need to begin to embrace righteousness was something that was gifted to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us we were gifted. We were made the righteousness of Christ. We can choose to reject that and live lives that don't reflect that, whether it's in our action or whether it's in our thinking. It doesn't matter to God. It's death. It's death manifest in that area of our life. Does that mean losing losing our salvation? No, guys. It means that area of our thinking is estranged from the heart of God. There's no intimacy in that area of our life. You have a friend, 
that's walking around that just feels very ashamed. They, you know, you say you're such a good friend or, you know, you're such a good uh, spouse, mate, um, whatever. And they turn and say, no, I'm really not. I'm really not. I'm not. Does that make you feel good? If it does, then you, you've got problems ourselves. But, right, does that, is there intimacy in that? The scriptures say, how can, how can two walk the same path unless we're agreed upon it? It brings no glory to the Father for Jesus to have been make, made us the righteousness by his own torture for us to say, no, I'm just an unholy, worthless vessel. I just have salvation, but I'm worthless. It's, it doesn't bless your dad's heart in heaven. It does not do so. Some scriptures you guys can look up on your own. Ephesians 2.13, 2 Corinthians 5.17, 2 Corinthians 5.21, which is the one I cited. Romans 5.1, Romans 3.22, all discuss that we've been made the righteousness of Christ. Righteousness is a gift. It is not an action. Let's go back. I'm going to close out in a couple of minutes here. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 all scripture is useful for, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Greek word equipped is artios. It means perfect or complete. So let's reread that. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly complete or perfect. Because it's through the completeness of our thinking the perfection of understanding our identity in Christ that equips us to do the things that Jesus did on the earth. The byproduct of embracing righteousness is that we will walk in union with the Lord, reflect his image, and do the works of Jesus, which we were commissioned to do, remember, in the first commission, the Great Commission. If we want to do the works of Jesus, if we want to look like Jesus, we don't look to what we do. We look to our belief system. It is training and equipping and rebuking, casting down every thought, casting down every belief system that says God is a liar and I'm going to choose to think about myself what I think about myself because that's what we're doing. Putting that into alignment with the truth of God's word, that is what equips us or makes us perfect so that we may do the works of Jesus. It's a byproduct and an outflow of our belief system and the depth of our intimacy with the Father. Hebrews 5.12, for the time when you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have become such as you have need milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He is a babe. The author of Hebrews is telling these people they should be at this time teaching others about righteousness, teaching others about great intimacy with the Lord reflecting the nature of Christ. And the author of Hebrews is saying, you guys should be understanding and being walking as elders right now, but you have need to learn again righteousness. You're still a baby. Righteousness determines the level of our spiritual maturity, guys, not giftings. 
not how we, well we can teach, not how interesting a word that we can come up with or how uh, popular our followers are or how much we can tickle the ears on a subject or talk about anything. It's not about whether or not we've had a dream or a vision. It's not about whether or not I can give a word of knowledge or prophesy something. That comes to pass. What determines my spiritual maturity is how much I have embraced the cross. I have embraced the accomplished work of Jesus, which is righteousness. It is righteousness that makes me perfect and complete, the scriptures say. And through reflecting his image, I do the works of Jesus. Now, the Lord is just so faithful. I can be pretty dense at times, guys. But the Lord just told me, David, the word you just said here, people are going to begin thinking that means we can be without sin. Here is what I'm saying. Jesus declared us holy and righteous. He declared us to be in the same nature and image of Jesus himself. So in the eyes of the Father, we have been declared holy and blameless. Right? Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says that. I didn't say that. Colossians did. got to take that up with God. He sees us perfect. That doesn't mean our actions always reflect what the free gift of righteousness has made us in the eyes of the Father. That's relationally how we live is different from positionally how the Father may see us. He sees us perfect. We live in the process of continuing to be transformed into his image so that we live, we relate to this world and to the Father in the same way that he actually sees us. Okay, so just for at least one person out there that was wondering about that. Jesus made us holy. He touched our spiritual lips, guys. He made us blameless. Everyone who has received the gift of salvation has already experienced, and this is key, what Isaiah went through. And you say, well, I want to have an encounter like that. You had one the moment that you received Jesus as Savior. He spiritually cleansed us. He made us holy and blameless. But many of us in the body of Christ in this generation have not changed our thinking toward ourselves, toward God, and toward others. If we do not embrace righteousness, we cannot be complete. Every aspect of the kingdom, guys, every aspect of our life is compromised to the degree that we don't embrace righteousness. We don't embrace that our self-worth can't change. And that will affect our lives in different, in different areas. For some, it, it, it affects us more with our friendships. For others, with our marriages. Um, for others, how we relate to others in the workplace. For others, how we look at the lost. How we view the lost. For others, it's um, what's on Father's heart. Everything that we do, guys, our perception of the Lord, ourselves and others, is distorted to the degree we don't understand the completed work of the cross. And that's why we have people, because God's always speaking to us, guys. Here's the key of some of the distortion and confusion in this hour. It's so simple. Father is always speaking to us. He speaks to our spirit. Our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, is going to pass everything of the kingdom through our belief system. To the degree we have rejected righteousness, that we've been made blameless and holy, to the degree that we have experienced the coals of taking away our sin and iniquity like, I, like Isaiah did, but have not changed our thinking 
the way Isaiah chose to accept that truth is to the degree that everything he shares with us will be distorted by our faulty belief system. That's why we have such angry, venomous, backbiting, wrathful, unforgiving, judgmental words that are spoken. And some of them are like, well, you know, we see, well, there's a lot of truth in this. Well, yeah, because we are hearing some things that are coming from Father's heart, but the nature of the author is what's being perverted. And that's what causes so much confusion in this hour. Guys, if I ever share anything with any of you, and it does not point you to the holiness and the goodness of God, you toss it out. I'm not a perfect vessel, and he's not done with me. But I'll tell you right now, if any word that I give does not point you back to the heart of the Father, then I'm out of alignment with his heart. And I may be sharing some principles, but that means that there's there's a principle to glean there perhaps, right? He can speak to a donkey. He can speak through me. He can speak through any of us. If the principle is there, you grab the principle. If the vessel isn't cleansed enough in their thinking, you reject just, you know, you used to have an expression out in Oklahoma, out in Bible school, is you, you, you eat the hay and you spit out the sticks, right? So that's what we have to learn to do. We have to pass everything through the understanding that the culmination of the ages is found in Christ. And what Christ did is made us righteous. And it is righteousness that gives us salvation. If Isaiah did not change his thinking, it would have looked like what many of us in the church are doing in this age. The angel comes down, right, or we, in this case, we receive Jesus, okay, as Savior, right? Isaiah received the salvation of the Lord. He received forgiveness of sin and iniquity. We do the same thing. Yes, Lord, I believe you died for me. You've removed my sin and iniquity. Yes, I, I received that. Okay, David, let me talk to you about what I want to do in your life. I want to talk to you about how I want you to, to, to spend time with me. I want to talk to you about some things that hurt you. I want to talk to you about my nature and my goodness and my holiness and intimacy. No, 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 no. I'm unworthy, Lord. No, no. Hi, I can't receive that. Shot during the baseball practice in Alexandria, Virginia. What, what was that, Dorothy? I'm sorry. Something auto-played on my computer. Oh, no problem. No problem, Dorothy. We're finishing up here. So, guys, it's in our thinking. When the Lord wants to speak to us, we have to begin looking at how do I view myself in alignment with what Jesus made me? If Isaiah didn't receive the reality of who he was, he never would have stepped into his commission. He never could have been a voice for the Lord. He never could have enjoyed the intimacy that he went on to experience. That was an initial encounter that Isaiah had with the Lord that began a lifetime of deeper and deeper intimacy. It started with him being cleansed, salvation, and then it continued through the transformation of his thinking. If we don't change our thinking, guys, we can never really enter into much intimacy. What's the result? Religion. We don't have relationship, we have religion, born-again religion, just dead works, just us continuing to agree with what Satan says about us, that we're useless, unworthy, wondering how much that we can, you know, not display his image before God's angry with us, maybe wants to cast us aside, all this garbage, talking about the wrath of God to come without talking about the purpose of judgments. Purpose of judgments, guys, is to reconcile us back to his heart. 
Nothing falls outside of his nature, which is goodness and love. Nothing. So we're having problems reconciling how an action or a scripture has to do with his goodness and his love. We don't understand his nature enough. What's the answer? Go back to righteousness. The cross is the culmination of the ages. Please remember that. So that's a... That's the study for this evening, and um, it's really embracing what took place on the cross. And if you want an example of that, something to, to motivate you, to encourage you, look to the courage of Isaiah. He stood before the holiness of God. Now, here's something, guys. Think about this just before I close. Isaiah stood in the manifest presence of God's throne room. The experience was so intense. His reality, his mind was saying, I'm done, I'm dead, I'm going to be obliterated, I'm unclean, I can't stand in the presence of this almighty being to the nth degree. An angel touched him with a coal and declared, you are holy and blameless. A declaration was made. Isaiah is still standing now after that event, in the same manifest glory of God. Guys, when, when we stand before the manifest glory of God, the, the actual elements of the physical realm melt away. They melt away. Things will be rolled back. The Bible talks about things being rolled back like a carpet. The elements burn in God's presence. He, everything is consumed within him. Isaiah is standing before this. And he says, oh, I was just told I was declared righteous. I can now come before the throne of grace with boldness. And when the Lord asked him, who shall I send? He's like, me? me. Yeah, I, hey, you made me holy and blameless. You give me the gift of intimacy. I can do this. Lord, I want to do this. Because Isaiah understood what Paul talked about in Romans, that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, to change. Isaiah came in face-to-face contact with the goodness of God, the holiness of God, and the goodness of God. Changed his thinking forever. Guys, the church needs to embrace that. We need to begin changing our thinking forever. So praise God. I hope this ministered to uh, to some of you. And uh, meditate on it. As always, you have questions, um, you can shoot them out to me. Um, I've been uh, endeavoring to get back to all you guys um, in your correspondence too. And I will continue to do so. For those of you who have been patient, uh, thank you. And um, just know that I love all you guys, that, that above all things, your Heavenly Father loves you. He is doing something in this hour. He is daring the church to change her thinking because it's what leads to great intimacy. Look to Isaiah 6, 5 through 10 as your example, as your encouragement. Have the courage, guys, to do that. And we're all in this together. He's challenging me in this hour. The last couple of months has been... Very, very challenging, bring, bringing me face-to-face with some uh, real deep-seated belief systems I've had that are based upon woundings and lies, and uh, it's a decision. I have to make a decision to reject them and embrace him and his goodness, his declarations over me. So praise God, Dorothy. Thank you, as always. And um, any questions on your end, Dorothy? Uh, no, I just think that's a very timely lesson. Uh, I think so many are stuck in that I'm a sinner, I'm worthless routine, even after they've been born again, that it it does 
interfere with their walk, their intimacy. So very timely message. Yeah, praise God. Um, you know, it's it's a theme that um, I want to continue on in different ways and really always always have. Everything about the kingdom of God, we can only commune in spirit as spirit beings and truth. So any area where we're contending with what the cross has done for us, um, we, we can't enter into the fullness of the kingdom or a fuller aspect of whatever we already do possess. And it's very easy for Satan to rob us and manipulate us and use us. And um, Father is in the process of changing that. That's a major move of the Holy Spirit has gone on uh, that, that I saw back from 2000. Oh, the end of 2015, and he's continuing on um, through this season. Things that can be shaken will be shaken. It starts with our belief system, and, and uh, he's going to continue to do it because that's how much he loves us. And he died, sent his son to die so that we can have intimacy with him, um, not because he's an egomaniac. So anyway, <laughs> praise God. And uh, yeah, I cracked myself up too. <laughs> Dorothy, you have a wonderful night. Wonderful weekend, and we're looking, uh, Lord willing, uh, for me to actually meet this coming up week uh, again, Dorothy. I'm going to try to get in uh, two uh, back-to-back, so hopefully this coming Friday as well. We'll see how that works out. That would be terrific. Yes, I agree. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, All of you, God bless you. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. For those of you that are listening live and those of you listening afterwards, any questions or things come up, please shoot me out an email, and you have my word. I will get back to you. Uh, Just be patient with me. Love you guys. And, Dorothy, have an awesome, awesome weekend, and I'll talk to you soon. You as well, David. Father bless. Father bless you, Dorothy. Fear House. I'm David Murray and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. We were hope that you were blessed by this week's broadcast. Again, if this was your first time, please stop by my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's dwmurry.com for additional teachings and insights. God bless you and until next time, please dare to accept the fact that your heavenly dad loves you deeply. <laughs>